Historic Cosmic Potato Studios, welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. Now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to That Star Trek Podcast, your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. My name is Sean Ray and I'm a survivor. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to work harder. Joining me tonight in the historic Infinite Potato Studio, we have Rick. How are you, sir? I don't know if anyone has odds on this, but the fact that I'm on an Orville podcast right now, just I, I'm not coping too well with that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> Nick is here with us as well. How are you? Holding up pretty good. Thanks. And we also have Scott. How's it going, sir? Nice name. Just kidding. It sucks. <laughs> All right. So uh, Lower Decks is over for this season. Season two of Strange New Worlds ended, and season three is supposed to start filming next month now that the actor strike is over. Uh, Discovery is slated to return for its final season in 2024, but there hasn't been any announcement of the release date yet. So we will fill that time slot with some look back, looks back at uh, some classic Trek episodes and some films and shows where uh, the Trek actors made outside of Star Trek. But I thought it would be fun to take a few episodes and look at a popular science fiction show that is sort of Trek adjacent. Um, we're going to be watching and reviewing a few episodes of The Orville which is a Star Trek-inspired show created by Seth MacFarlane, who is mostly known for creating shows like Family Guy, American Dad, The, the Cleveland Show. Um, there were two seasons that aired on Fox beginning in 2017. It actually began exactly two weeks before the premiere of Discovery, season one. And, uh, and then they had a third season, which was only available on Hulu. Uh, tonight, we will be reviewing Season 1, Episode 3 of The Orville, which was titled About a Girl, written by Seth MacFarlane, directed by Brandon Braga. The original air date was September 12, 2017. The IMDb description is, Bordis and Clyden debate whether their newborn child should have a controversial surgery. Uh, before we start talking about the episode, let's go around the virtual circle. And guys, since we're only covering three episodes of season one on this uh on this podcast tell me what your overall thoughts about season one are if your view of the show has changed over the last what's it been like six five six years since it aired and uh and then give me your initial impressions of the episode um rick you're going to be the most negative probably so i'll go ahead and start with you <laughs> you're not wrong um and I, I, I am not, I am neither ashamed nor, uh, do I, a lot of my opinions haven't changed. Uh, 
when the Orville was being advertised, it was very clear what Seth MacFarlane was doing. I am not a Seth MacFarlane fan. I have not seen anything he's done that I found amusing. So I'm, I, you know, I watched a couple episodes of, of Family Guy. I watched, I sat through the whole damn Star Wars special and didn't crack a smile. Um, I just, I just don't like his his brand of humor. It doesn't work for me. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying anything about the quality. I just, it just doesn't. It's, I don't like it. Um, so hearing that Seth MacFarlane was doing an homage, quote unquote, which looked to me more like, let's see how close we can get to actionable without actually being sued. Uh, version of the next of Star Trek, the next generation. Uh, I was skeptical. I watched the first episode. I was amazed at how much of, I mean, even the music was probably just three or four notes away from anything that was used in Star Trek. It was not even trying to say that this is an homage. It's a complete and total ripoff. I watched the first four episodes. Now, the one we're going to talk about tonight, I actually liked it with some caveats. Uh, But then the fourth episode, which we will talk about another time, uh, which is about a generation ship that the inhabitants don't know they're on a generation ship for the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. Thank you. Um, I, I was done. I checked out. I, I was, I just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, then a couple years later of y'all and some other friends of mine who were like, you really need to give it another chance. It got, it got so much better after that episode. And then finally, I don't know what happened. So a, a switch flipped in my head somewhere. And I was like, all right, I've got enough people haranguing me to watch this goddamn show. And so I started back with episode five. I didn't go back and rewatch the other ones because I didn't, I already knew that they, what I, I already had an opinion of them. I started with episode five and then I binged the rest of the show. Um, I enjoyed it. Again, with some caveats. I think the entire cast works their ass off, especially the guys that play Bortus and Clyden, especially when they have to wear full freaking body suits for the, for their, for their, their alien looks. Um, everybody busts their ass in these, in this show, except McFarlane and the redhead dude who they'll walk into a really good scene and throw, throw around some dick and fart jokes and walk out again and just suck all the, the, the talent out of the room. And they got better about that as the show went on. But especially in the first season, that was that's a, a real turnoff to me. I just again, I don't find McFarland funny. He's not a bad actor when he's when he's playing straight. He's fine. But I don't like it when they're goofing around. I don't like the I, I can't even remember the character's name, the redhead dude. I just I don't like him at all. And uh, so. But this episode is fantastic is grimes by the way <laughs> yeah. um the the this episode uh about a girl is that what it's called yes about a girl uh, it, it's fantastic some really amazing acting and you know a great tackling of a of a, a very touchy subject with the exceptions of what i said before so maybe i'm going to be a hostile witness on this series <laughs> uh because it's kind of a court episode nice Oh, I didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I knew. Okay, so, I mean, I, I knew how you felt about the show when it started. And I'm not 
I'm not going to defend <laughs> the Orwell to you. I, I've done. I've done. We've that. had this talk many, many times. Um, but uh, I think that the, the one thing that you said, as far as that the in the first season that Seth MacFarlane was making a lot more dick and fart jokes than he was later on. I don't think that was as much MacFarlane as it was Fox, because Fox was. That's what Fox wants from him. Because that's what he does on Family Guy. That's what he does on American Dad and stuff like that. And I think that there was a directive that they want a lot of that in this show. And I think that that's why over time it kind of evens out. Because I think that what we got in later on in season two and what we got in season three was what Seth MacFarlane wanted to do from the beginning. You know, he wanted it to be more of a serious science fiction show with some comedy in there instead of what Fox originally wanted him to make was a workplace comedy in space. And he got that changed because they wanted it to be like the office where they would cut to confessionals and people and people would sit there and they would talk about what's going on like they do on the office. And uh, he didn't want to do that. You know, he wanted to, he wanted to make Star Trek. You're right. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a ripoff, but I understand where you're coming from. (laughs) um, Nick, what about you? What, What do you think? I'm not the hugest fan of the Orville, but I, I don't want to just jump on the, you know, dissing it train. Rick has covered that ground. Um, and I actually don't mind the humor of Seth MacFarlane. I, I have enjoyed um, Family Guy. And I don't like it when humor is mean spirited, which is why I gave up on that show. Um, but I, but uh, the Orville, the humor has never been mean spirited. It's like, it's lowbrow. But again, like, I, I don't mind that. Um, and I also don't mind having perhaps incongruous humor mixed in with sci-fi. Like, I really enjoyed the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. That They have that same sort of tone where, you know, there's a legit story, but then it's also interwoven with humor. Uh, so that's not a problem for me. What doesn't work for me about the Orville is that it's just not that good. It's like, I mean, to me, it's not a ripoff of of TNG. It is homage. Certain episodes are ripoffs. Like certain episodes are just so similar to something that's happened in Star Trek. The same way, actually, um, gosh, at this point, I'm like, was it Strange New Worlds? The one, the episodes where they were, very clearly doing aliens that to me tipped over from homage to a bit of ripoff. Yeah. And so the Orville does occasionally do that where it, it, it tips over into ripoff, but I think for the most part it's homage and that's fine if it's done well. And sometimes it is, I will say for the three seasons. Now I don't remember how many episodes there are per season, perhaps two episodes per season that I think are worthwhile that I think are, you know, good sci-fi stories. But overall, it's just a sort of low-level, B-grade sci-fi, kind of along the lines of, you know, something like Andromeda or, you know, those other shitty sci-fi shows from the 90s. So, and maybe that's part of the problem, that it is being an homage to something from 
the 80s slash 90s. It's like it's not good enough. You know, I still love 80s Star Trek and even 60s Star Trek because I have that nostalgia factor. But if those shows were to be made today, we would say like, well, this is kind of low grade. So that's how I feel about the Orville. It's just, it's it's not doing anything innovative. It's not 21st century science fiction. It's 20th century science fiction. Nick, what about this episode in particular? This episode is okay. It's not great. It's not bad. I see what they were trying to do. I think the episode is a bit confused. But I will say that what they're doing in this episode is not as bad as what they do with this storyline later on. When they they pick it back up later on and it gets really confused. And I think we're eventually going to cover that or those episodes. So I'll, I'll keep my commentary for now. What I'll say now is, Full disclosure, I didn't rewatch it. I did read the synopsis to remind myself of it because I did more or less remember this episode. Um, And yeah, I think my reaction to it the first time around was like, yeah, okay, this is okay. Yeah, I see what they're doing. It's okay. There are a couple things in it that really bothered me. But I mean, you know, that's true of anything I watch. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was okay. Scott, what about you? Well, as far as the the first season, and honestly, I have a hard time differentiating uh, first from second season because I only watched them the one time back when they first aired. So it it all kind of blends together in my head. Um, anything Orville, there's no season one, season two. And with, if anyone was curious, it's uh, 12 episodes in season one, 14 in season two, and 10 episodes in season three. Um, season three, which I still have not seen. Uh, and I, I should, I was hearing decent things about it and it's a season through Hulu as opposed to a season on Fox. So it probably has a a bit of a different tone. Uh, and from, from, from what Sean was saying, uh, if McFarlane was allowed to make it more like he originally wanted, as opposed to what Fox was asking for, then I, it would probably be be worth watching. Probably not an entirely different show, but worth giving a try. Uh, Each episode well, is about ten minutes longer, too. Well, well, Neek says no, no, no. It's no, the same no. show. It's the same. Show. <laughs> it's the same show. I liked the the idea, the possibility, as season one was approaching, of a a, a very strong, legitimate Star Trek fan in a position to make a show that could serve as, you know, part love letter to Star Trek itself, uh, part homage and part, um, uh, re reimagining, like taking Star Trek esque stories and telling them and approaching them in a different way and trying to add something new, give it a new spin. Then as we're going through season one, I say, oh, the new spin is uh, everyone talks and acts and makes references even more to modern to modern day pop culture and and sensibilities. Because it, that's been one of my gripes with Star Trek is why why is current uh, slang in the year that the show is being made the same slang that they're using 
in the 24th, 25th century. That doesn't make sense. And they lean into it way more on the Orville. Everyone is talking like they, like they just rolled in from the 21st century straight onto the ship. And they're talking exactly the same way. They're acting the same. Um, all their pop culture references are the same pop culture references. So dated that I, some of them during this rewatch, I didn't even get them because they've already passed out of the, the zeitgeist and been forgotten, but they're still using those references in whatever future the Orville is in. That's a trap that you fall into when you build your show around pop culture references. Um, but I agree with Neek. It, wasn't done as well as we wanted it to be done. Um, I was watching these episodes and I couldn't get over the feeling that the, uh, the sets and the costumes, they, they, they look kind of cheap and the, the sets looked, looked really basic. I hate the bridge on the Orville. Um, I'll, I'll admit that I hate the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I also agree with Neek in her uh, uh, description of the humor. It wasn't mean, but it was lowbrow humor. And I agree with Rick that uh, when Seth MacFarlane and Scott Grimes just come into a scene and just act like dudes because that's funny, it it takes all the life out of the scene. Whereas, you know, everyone else could keep a scene going and make it feel, feel interesting, make it feel like there's something happening, but then it, it makes you feel like there's actually a world that they've created in the series. But then, then those two guys come on and, Oh no, this is live action family guy. That's right. I almost forgot. Um, so it was kind of tough since I do like science fiction and they could have some interesting stories. If you can push past, the humor and some of the performances you can get some enjoyable sci-fi comedy every so often while watching this show. Um, I didn't think it was horrible. I just think it really could have been a lot better if they had done a few things differently. Now, all that being said, I remember when I first saw this episode and I got the same feeling when I did a rewatch yesterday, this episode, is what I wished that the entire series could be because they came up with a plot line. They came up with uh, a, a central conflict for this episode and they took their time and they made an effort in how they examined it through the dialogue, the, the different conversations that different characters would have about this central conflict reminded me of the conversation scenes that we would get in seasons one and two of next generation, where you would have a room full of the main characters sitting down and examining the problem, knocking it back and forth. Then Worf says something, they say no. And then they continue <laughs> with the conversation Yeah, and they come up with some ideas by the end of it because they're, it's not just filler dialogue to get you to the conclusion. The, the only point that the writers are trying to make. In those early episodes of TNG, just like in this episode of the Orville, the writers took the time to find different viewpoints and present them through these characters and have them debate, have them go back and forth, have people change their minds. 
think it's kind of ridiculous for Clyden's mind to be changed by Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but this this is live-action Family Guy. But overall, I did enjoy this episode for the most part. The things that I didn't enjoy were usually the jokes. Some jokes work, some don't. But overall, the the tone and the plot of the episode, I, I wish we'd gotten a lot more like this. We just didn't. So I'm the only one that's a fan of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I will admit, first, se- first season had a lot of problems. I did not care for the first couple episodes. Um, this one was the one that I watched that I was like, well, this show might be something. This might be a good show, you know? Yep. Uh, and I will admit that some of the jokes kind of, kind of take you out of it a little bit. As I said before, I think a lot of that was the network interfering and wanting and wanting Seth MacFarlane to do what they've gotten from Seth MacFarlane on other shows. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There's also the thing that happened around this time. As I said, the, the, the first episode of this show came out two weeks before discovery. And if you guys remember there were a lot of Star Trek fans that were angry that they were having to pay for Star Trek. And so they started declaring that the Orville was their Star Trek because they didn't have to pay for it. And then eventually they did have to start paying for it because it went to Hulu. (laughs) That is no small part of my animosity towards the show. I will freely admit is the, which is not the the Orville. Orville. It's not the Orville's fault. I I'm, I'm not, I, that happened. That was Star Trek fans. And that's, that that was, the part I finally got over and went back and watched the show. But yeah. yeah. And and now Sean, you say it was the Star Trek fans. Well, it they is sort of Star Trek fans that became or named themselves Orville fans and they got obnoxious about it. it it's yeah. very similar to people who dislike Rick and Morty, not because of the show, but because of Rick and Morty fans. Yeah. They Fan- didn't like fandoms this. can really affect a person's enjoyment of a show. And this is one of those examples. They were the ones that didn't like New Trek woke trick and all that kind of stuff they wanted something that was closer to what they had in the 90s and this had a lot of things that looked like tng and looked like ds9 and stuff so they migrated toward it of course it only lasted two seasons on fox and got uh canceled which i knew from episode one that fox was going to cancel this show because fox cancels science fiction Everything that they've ever done that was science fiction, whether it was success, successful or not, they cancel it. Yeah, after I, a couple I, of seasons. I don't know why they so. they bother to to purchase sci-fi shows in the first place because they yeah they don't like them. They never keep them. Yeah, they. It would. It's like if you look at a show that comes out now on Netflix and stuff. So, stuff doesn't have to have the audience on a streaming service to be considered successful that it used to have to have on a network. You have to have millions and millions of people watch something on a network for them to consider it successful. If it's on Netflix and it's got a couple of million, you know, they'll run three, four seasons of it or something like that. But anyway, so um, I just want to expand on the plot a little for anybody that might be listening that hasn't seen the episode or hasn't seen it in a while. So on the Orville, the second officer is Lieutenant Commander Bordis. He's obviously supposed to be a version of Worf and for this crew. 
Uh, he's from the planet Mockless, and that is an entirely male species. And his mate, he and his mate Clyden, have a child born female, which their people considers that to be a deformity. So the episode deals with the fact that the Mocklins want to change the gender of the baby to male so that she won't be uh, shunned by society. And I like this episode. I think that it's, um, like I said, I think it was the first episode that I considered to be like really good. It had a compelling story. It had some funny jokes and it had a way of taking an idea and approaching it from an angle that, um, made you really think about it because I mean, on the surface it's about this baby and they're deciding whether or not to change the gender of the baby, but it's not really necessarily about that gender operation. It's just the topic that they choose to use for that story, because what it's actually about is the way our society looks at a culture that they don't understand and then judge it with their own set of morals. So how do you, how do you guys think that they did in conveying that issue? Nick, I'll start with you. Yeah. If you take the, yeah, okay. I don't want to get into that yet. So so I'll say if indeed you take this episode as an allegory for here's a culture doing something that is against my personal values or my culture's values, and I'm trying to respect their culture, but I'm also questioning whether or not something is so egregious that I'm just, you know, putting down my foot and saying, no, I cannot accept your culture because it's just because your something that you hold sacred is so offensive to me Mm -hmm. on that level. I think it works. And I think this allegory works on that level and that level alone, because you could interpret it in other ways, but uh, having read up on it, that was Seth MacFarlane's intent to say, you know, you're looking at a culture, they're they're doing something that is abhorrent to you. You know, where's where's your tolerance line? Mm-hmm. At, at what point are you tolerant of someone else's beliefs? And at what point do you step over that line and say, no, it's not okay. I'm going to police your culture based on my values. And so, and from that perspective, I think it works. Yeah, because in the beginning, uh, like... um Mercer didn't necessarily, he wasn't necessarily trying to stop it from happening. He was just telling Bordis that we're not going to be part of it. You know, we're, we're not going to just stand by and we're not going to do it on the ship and we're not going to take you to where you need to go to have it done and all that kind of stuff. And then they stepped, and then he stepped in and got more involved when Bordis changed his mind and he, and he needed uh, representation in the, in the trial and all that kind of stuff. But Rick, you were gonna. You were about to say something. Go ahead. I, I I'm gonna retract my objection because uh, I agree with Neek. I think if you look at it with a very narrow lens, it does it does work uh, as as an allegory for that. Uh, I I have other issues with the with the episode on its uh, on face value, in that I don't know why Mercer got involved at all. Uh, at at the beginning, I I could see the doctor going no. The rest of it just, but again, I'm, I'm also looking at it through the lens of Starfleet and the prime direction because the show is a close parallel, <laughs> uh, to Star Trek. And so I keep expecting it, them to follow the prime direction. Picard would have been like, this sucks, but we can't do anything about it. Uh, 
and I kind of until think, Act Two, and then he would get involved. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, until Data plays plays. You know, he hears Sarjanka. Ah shit! Now we got to rescue him. Okay. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I'm not sure how well they pulled it off, but I do I do give the episode and the series big credit for for trying to tackle an issue like this in in their third episode. The 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 union is what they call their version of Starfleet. Starfleet it's called yeah. the union. The union doesn't have a prime direction, a directive, a prime direction. <laughs> they don't have that either. They don't have that podcast. They don't have a prime directive. They just have the admiralty of the union looks at everything on a case by case basis and decides yeah. which which Mercer just usually makes a decision before he even contacts the Admiralty. So, you know, we'll talk about that in the next episode when he just, you know, Hey, I'm involved. Hey, I'm going to upend your entire civilization. Yeah. (laughs) Scott, what about you? What'd you think? Uh, Like, like I said, this was an episode that made me wish that the rest of the series was like this. Um, It, it takes you on a bit of a ride because it starts out as an episode that looks like it might be about, um, the you know, make like decisions on raising your your child and uh, decisions about gender norms and and identity and making decisions for your children uh, when they cannot make decisions for themselves. Basically, everything having to do with the baby. You think the episode is going to be about that, mm-hmm. but then it's about judging another race by your own principles, which everyone on the ship is doing. And it it was, it was really blatant while I was doing my rewatch that no one on the crew is stopping for a moment to say, well, it doesn't really matter whether I agree with it or not. This is how they do it. And it's not my place to make their decisions for them. This is how their planet operates. It's not my business. No one is thinking that. Everyone is thinking, well, you're wrong. Because it's not how Earth does it, so you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, for a minute, in like the second half of the episode, they were kind of flirting with the idea of uh, taking on uh, gender equality issues. And then they... I, they they lean into that for a second and then they go they they return to course for um the the differences in cultures and what what I did find interesting is that my first time watching it all throughout the episode I didn't know how it was going to come out because they they did leave me feeling like this really could go either way by the end of the episode it who who knows what's going to happen? And I was a little surprised that that in the end they went ahead with what the humans would not have chosen. So the the end result of the episode was not the human centric view. Mm-hmm. And I was a little I I don't know if I can say I was impressed by it, but I was a little surprised by it <clears throat> because when you don't know what direction this sort of story is going to go, you default to, well, you know, the, the main characters, the humans, well, they're the good guys and the good guys are going to win. So it's going to be the human way and they don't do that. So I thought that was an interesting take. Um, I don't recall what they do 
with this particular plotline when they pick it up later on. That's because um, it happens in season three and you haven't seen season three yet. Oh, okay. So. Well, then that's why I don't remember. Okay. An- <laughs> yeah. Another reason to watch season three, because I would be interested to see how they follow up this episode. You quoted it. Was that a lyric from a song? Yeah. Yeah. It's from that's from Destiny's Child. Oh, okay. When she says when she says that, you know, that's a that's a line from a Destiny's Child song. That's why he, he says uh that was a very um noble person that yeah. came up with that or whatever he said. Actually it was like fifteen different people. <laughs> but, um okay. so now I get the joke. <laughs> do, do you think that they did a good job of making you think about the way that you perceive other cultures and the way that they do things? No. Anybody? No? No. Yes, because like, you know, for me, a, a personal example would be, um, you know, let's say f- female genital mutilation. Yeah. That that for me is a cultural practice that I'm not cool with. Right. And, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm typically pretty tolerant of other cultures and what they do. But if it's something that is blatantly discriminating against girls and women i'm out and so i absolutely denounce that culture wholesale yeah and so you want to say well you know you can't judge my culture because we do that i was like well i do yeah so you know you sorry i don't need at this point i'm like jesus was a scott or rick saying that like everyone on the ship is they're not stepping back and and saying like, Oh, you know, it's none of my business. It's their culture. They're all jumping in right in and saying, that's not cool. I'm not cool with that. I'd be that person too. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to like go knock on the doors of every Egyptian in my neighborhood and say like, you better not be doing this. But you know, if I found out my neighbor had done this to their child, I absolutely, I mean, I don't hang out with my neighbors anyway, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I'd I make a not, phone call. Yeah. I'd be I, I would not call. be, uh, you know, friendly to that neighbor. I'm like, yeah. no, I'm sorry. This is not okay with me. And there are a lot of things in a lot of cultures that I am. There's a lot of things that are in my own culture that I'm not okay with. And so again, yeah, I think it, it as an allegory for that, it absolutely works because yeah. I, I would not have, you know, gone up to Cletus and Borden and said, you can't do this. I mean, I can't stop them from doing what they want with their child, but I wouldn't be friends with them. I wouldn't be hanging out with them. I'd be like, what you have done, I'm sorry, is disgusting and evil and I'm not cool with it. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a there's a show that is made by 2020. It's called What Would You Do? That comes on uh, ABC. And it's interesting because they set up these scenarios. They have actors come in and go to public places and do different things and just see what the reaction is of people around. If they get involved, if they just look the other way. And um, it's funny because my wife actually had a story one time where she went to, she was having dinner with her mother at like a Chinese restaurant or something like that. And there were, some people from another culture in another at another table. I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what culture they were. I think they were I think she described them as being Muslim. But um they she said that there was a woman and her daughter sitting on one side of the table and the man and the and and a little boy sitting on the other side of the table. The man and the little boy were eating 
the woman and the little girl were just sitting there. They had their food in front of them, but they weren't eating. And the man was just, I mean, just being awful to this woman, just saying all kinds of stuff. And I mean, ultimately, my wife didn't get involved because it wasn't like he was hitting anybody or anything like that. But she was just she came home and she was so upset because this guy's just treating his wife and his daughter that the way that uh, that way. And, and 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 I was like, yeah, because that's that's their that's where they come from. That's what they do, you know, and uh, or you want to get involved. You wanna, yeah, well, that, yeah, I mean, that's true, too. Like I said, I wasn't there. I'm and this is all secondhand. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you want to get, you want to say something, you want to get involved, but at the same time, what, what do you say? You're not, there's nothing that you can say that's going to change thousands of years of culture. For well, this that's person. it. And <laughs> yeah. it's also like, even if you interfere and say like, this is not okay. As soon as they get home, she's going to give it, get it even worse because yeah. you interfered. Yeah. That's so, true. so you're not helping anyone by interfering, but indeed it turns your stomach Yeah, and, and you don't want to see it. So Seth MacFarlane had a quote after the after the show aired. He said, what always fascinated me was if you have another culture that does things their own way, that doesn't stack up with your morals and your code of ethics, but it's still their culture. At what point do you respect their ways? And at what point does it get so insane that you can't justify it in your own mind to live with yourself and it becomes time to be the galaxy police? And Brandon Braga, who um, directed this episode, said, making sure that the topic of Topa's uh, sex reassignment wasn't ridiculous, but was somehow uh, funny. You know, they got to put comedy in this episode somehow was a point was poignant, but it was a challenge. And fortunately Seth was there to make sure that it happened. Right. So um, what do you think about the funny? Well, I mean, they had to put comedy in the episode. I think the stuff it. with uh, him being uh, swayed by Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer yeah. or whatever, I oh, think that was right. meant to be lighthearted and cute and everything. Yeah. Or like when Alara punches him into the wall. Okay, yeah. 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 It, the the stuff on the holodeck, um, uh, Malloy, the the helmsman being being questioned and proven to be an idiot. Yeah. Uh, it's the comedic moments in the episode, not necessarily making the the expectation for changing the child's gender, not making that funny but putting funny around it. Okay. Yeah. It, it sounded like he was saying how to make the, the surgery funny. Just- how to make the topic of the episode had to have comedy in it. Um, um, uh, one thing, one thing that I do want to mention about this episode that I think, and this, this does go on throughout the entire series, uh, at least until the inevitable, um, that t- took a lot of the wind out of the sails of any message they were trying to get across with this episode was the sexual harassment of the doctor by the blob voiced by Norm MacDonald. Yafet. Yeah, that that got tired for me immediately. Well, yeah, because he's like, you know, hey, you want to go out with me, Doc? Come on. And, and then she's like, we're not even compatible. And then he makes a dick. Mm-hmm. Look, I can do yeah. this. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? There's more where that came from. <laughs> and and it's like yeah. to, that that to me almost derails the whole episode because that's so and and you and and uh, you know they probably say oh well you know he's clearly a bad guy and he's you know he learns as he's going along but no that that does not excuse it and you know maybe that kind of that kind of joke was funny back in the in the the sixties seventies eighties when it should it never should have been. But for a, a show made 
less than 10 years ago, it was almost unex- almost inexcusable, in my opinion, especially when you're trying to make a point of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of women aren't useless. women being treated, you know, treated with respect and they're not. Yeah, they're not useless. They're not. And and then you've got this bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that whole Yafit is the character's name, and yeah. it, it's kind of problematic. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I don't really care for it. Uh, I mean, I love, I loved Norm Macdonald. Oh yeah, uh, he was he was hilarious. But but yeah, that that creation. I, I understand they wanted to have a crew member that was very much not humanoid. Uh, but yeah, that that aspect of it didn't work for me, and it. Yeah, it continues. And Norm Macdonald died uh, while they were making the third season, I think. So he's there. The character is there. And they had some voice work, but it eventually they didn't have anything later on. And it kind of fizzled out. Um, so what do you think about the twist at the end when it's discovered that the writer that's most revered by the Mocklin Society turns out to be female? Did anybody care about it at that point? <laughs> It was not surprising. That's the sort of like, it's the sort of last minute courtroom gotcha moment that is meant to change a lot of minds. And we've seen it before. So it wasn't really a shock. Mm -hmm. I, this factors into what I mentioned before, finding interesting about the episode is they, they, they play that scene. And they have a woman show up and give an impassioned testimony and then reveal that she has been a revered contributor to their culture and their society. And when the, when the council comes back, they still said, yeah, we're not changing our mind. Yeah. 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 It didn't, it didn't, it did not do what they thought it was going to do. She came down all the way from the mountain for nothing. Well, I think we were supposed to get the sense that it planted a seed that was supposed to pay off later on. Now, whether it did or not, we'll talk about that in a few episodes when we get to season three. Um, so yeah, the plot of this episode about Topa is followed up in a season three episode titled a tale of two Topas. And we'll cover that episode eventually. Now I want to talk about some of the aspects of the show that aren't as heavy that don't have to do with that plot. Uh, what do you guys think of the visuals of the episode or of the show in particular, since this is the first time we're talking about it. A lot of people don't like the design of the Orville. I've heard it called a tadpole. It's an ugly <laughs> ass ship. Um, <laughs> I, I think the, the, the special effects are fine. Yeah. I think they, they, they look, I, I, I never really had a problem with the visuals of the show. I think you're right. The bridge is really kind of stupid looking i don't like the bridge at all Um, and you know some of some of the design choices are a little odd but i don't think that there's anything that's particularly egregious Um, and also like in you know this is very much created to be like star trek but they don't use all the Star Trek stuff. Star Trek has transporters. The Orville doesn't have transporters. So anytime that they want to leave the ship, they have to take a shuttle, you know, which is what they were trying to not do on Star Trek. <laughs> well, they couldn't afford to do it on Star Trek. That was, yeah, that yeah. was the problem. I, the you know, it's they interesting. Have to take a shuttle and very carefully weave their way between the engine nacelles in order to get out. Why would you, 
why would you put the shuttlecraft or the shuttle bay there? It's a <laughs> yes. horrible place to have a shuttle bay. You're talking the Orville or, or yeah, yeah, the yeah. Orville. It's a yeah. horrible place to put a shuttle bay. I also find it interesting that all of the Union ships are that design, just some are bigger and sm- some are smaller. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the the way that I I, I call them nacelles, even though I, they're probably called something else. But that design is like that's their science. That's how their engines work. So they have to have yeah. those three nacelles or whatever right there to make their. I don't know. I don't think they call it warp drive. They call they call it something else. I don't know if they call it hyperdrive or something else. But so Penny Johnson Gerald is known to Star Trek fans as playing Cassidy Yates on Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And on the Orville, she has a much bigger role as Claire Finn. She's the ship's chief medical officer. And she is one of many Star Trek actors who have worked on the Orville, both in front of and behind the camera. So Marina Sirtis was on an episode. We had Robert Picardo, Tim Rush, John Billingsley, F. Murray Abraham, Tony Todd, Jonathan Frakes, uh, directed an episode in season two sanctuary was the name of it do you think that the appearance of any of these people gives it more credence to the orville being being more than just a copy of star trek no i think it further cements (laughs) (laughs) okay i will say and i I talked about that because I, i was on a panel that where we talked about the orville a few years ago is right after the show had started at a convention and at the time I said, I don't really think that these people would be involved with something that was considered to be a ripoff of Star Trek. And then I saw the movie Unbelievable in 2020. The Listen, I am not saying this with shade. These people will do anything for a paycheck. Again, yeah. that's not shade. I'll do fucking anything for a paycheck. Money's money. You got to live. Yeah. You got to put food on the table. It doesn't mean they're endorsing it as like this is a valid thing. Because most of these actors don't feel like Star Trek is a valid thing. It's a job. Yeah, it was their job. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, that uh, that fan film that Walter Koenig was part of, I can't remember the name of it. Which well, one? Uh, Rene- <laughs> Renegades? Renegades. Renegades with yeah. Tim it Russ and awful. Kane. Oh, yeah. It was terrible. But that mo- the movie I was just talking about, Unbelievable is basically like a sketch comedy film there's a lot it's like full of all these skits with with like a a a story that connects them all and it had garrett wong it had chase masterson nana visitor was in it well uh michael dorn a lot of people jeffrey was the one with the marionette kirk right yeah yeah and it was terrible and it had all these Star Trek actors in it i mean basically patrick stewart and brent spiner were the only ones that other than a lot of TOS characters. Nichelle Nichols was in it and uh, uh, Walter Koenig was in it. Nobody else from TOS was in it. And some of them were still alive at the time. <laughs> this was before uh, Nimoy died, I think. This was 2020. When did Nimoy die? No, Nimoy died in like 2016, didn't he? So Yeah, yeah. it was yeah, well okay. before. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So I did write down a few uh, trivia things as I do when we talk about Star Trek. But in the simulation program, Seth MacFarlane wears the same Western outfit that he wore in the film A Million Ways to Die in the West. Yep, notice that. It came out in 2014. Uh, at eight minutes and six seconds on the episode, Isaac says, one month and six, 17 days. This is a reference to the number 47, which was a recurring reference on Star Trek. <laughs> 
in the scene where that's, uh, that's that's kind of thin. That's kind of thin. <laughs> one month, seventeen days. I mean, that's forty-seven most of the time. No, I, not, I, not or, every or it's time. forty-eight, or it's forty-six, yeah. or it's forty-five in February. In the scene where Bordis Malloy and Lamar watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Malloy looks as if he's about to cry. Actor Scott Grimes, who plays Malloy, uh, has confirmed that he was holding back real tears because he cries every time he watches Rudolph. Um, and that's pretty much all I've got. That's all I've got <laughs> to say about this episode. Do you guys have anything else you wish to add before we close out th- this episode? This episode and this series as a whole cemented for me the fact that uh, I one has to give uh, credit and props to Scott Grimes for always, always, always playing a shitheel character that you just don't like. Yeah, he's because good at it. He he was that he he started as like a a recurring guest star and became one of the main cast members on er for mm-hmm. like f- from the introduction of his character through to the end of the series he was there and a main character and not a once did i care for his character at all no yeah it wasn't great he was but not because okay because the character was bad, not because yes, his yes. acting was bad. He's a good actor. Yeah, oh, he's he's I, great. Yeah. He's a great actor. I don't actor dislike Malloy. I don't dislike him either. I, I, I don't dislike. I like, him and I, I had this in my notes for the other episode that we're going to talk about in that we'll do it in a couple of weeks. But um, I like the fact that Malloy is kind of stupid when it comes to stuff that doesn't have to do with his job because many things, many times on Star Trek. I don't like that everybody is a super smart scientist and you can say all the scientific stuff to somebody that doesn't work in engineering or in science and they understand exactly what you're talking about. Because if you go to the Academy, okay, my, I froze again. Did you no, hear we, anything? We, we can still yeah. hear you. We, okay. we heard, we heard the whole thing. Um, but everybody that graduates from Starfleet has to be a super genius. You know, but in reality, there are people that know their job. They don't necessarily know engineering. They don't necessarily know. But I'm a good pilot. That's what I do. That's my job is being the pilot. I'm good at that. I'm an idiot when it comes to other stuff. I don't know about history. I don't know about math. I know how to fly stuff. You know, I fly the ship. <laughs> I, and and you're not wrong. And that's one of the things that I realized about the Orville after I finished watching the whole series, because it was because that was something that was just nagging at the back of my mind. And you're you're right, because what's diff the main thing that's different about the Orville from Star Trek, other than the 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 the, the visuals, is that this crew and and when you said that this is what Fox wanted originally, it all clicked into place for me. This crew, this is a work this is a workplace uh comedy dramedy whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. yeah these aren't the best and the brightest these this is what happened this is what would happen and and i you know this is fairly realistic uh and especially with what you just said scott or sean uh it just also another click uh because when i was in the air force i worked with a lot of guys like these people who you know, could tear down a jet engine in their sleep with one arm tied behind their back and you know, discuss the theory of every little part in that engine, but ask them to read a book and they would laugh at you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, so th- the difference, it, the Orville crew are a bunch of blue collar workers for the most part. Uh, you know, they, they know their jobs and then they get drunk every night after work. And that's something that will eventually uh, take up is the rampant alcoholism on the Orville. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I I think we're on opposite sides of that, that coin because I miss that. I, one of the things I like about Star Trek is that everybody is super smart and super good at their jobs unless the plot needs to not be for, you know, whatever reason. But for the most part, these are all people to look up to as opposed to the Orville crew, which are maybe people I probably wouldn't really want to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just like Lamar in, in the, in episode one, when you first see Lamar meeting Mercer for the first time, <laughs> the thing that he has to ask the new captain is, Hey, the old captain used to let us have drinks under the console. You're going to let us have drinks under there. Sure. As long as you don't spill it. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. So why don't you guys let everybody know about the other well, things ne- that you ne- work Nick's on? Been trying to okay. Ne- I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I no, was just going to, I was just going to echo what Rick said. I, Cause like, yeah, I mean, you, you said it, Sean, for you, that's a good thing that this is, more realistic and for me part of the appeal of star trek is that it is aspirational rather than grounded in our reality oh i'm not yeah i mean i love i love that that about star trek i just like i said it's just that everybody knows every job yeah that i mean i don't i don't find that realistic because at my job i don't know i don't i don't know that it's i don't know that star trek is meant to be realistic it's meant to be aspirational. Okay. It's meant to show us a future where it is the norm for. For, for eight-year-olds to do calculus. Yeah. Exactly. See, you, you knew exactly where I was going. Why do yeah. I even start talking? Yeah. You, you got it. <laughs> you got <that. laughs> All right. Um, Rick, where can everybody uh, find you when you're um, not here? Probably find me in a fetal position in about a hour. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, get your COVID shots, get your boosters. You need them, but they suck. <laughs> so, uh, and other than that, you can find me on that Star Trek podcast and Moon Show, and uh, uh, occasionally on Captain Game Show, and hopefully uh, on the 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 head cannon. Uh, what, what's it? What's the full name of it? What's, what's your head cannon? What's your head cannon? Okay. Yeah. All right. Nick, what about you? Where can we find you? You can find me as host of uh, Moon Show. Moon Show. Moon Show. For All Mankind podcast right here on the network. And if you like Star Trek, which I know you do, you'll want to visit superanemic.com to read my weekly recaps of Star Trek episodes. All right. And Scott, what about you? Well, normally you can find me as the host of this very, that Star Trek pod, this, that Star Trek podcast. That doesn't sound right. Um, <laughs> let, letting Sean take the wheel for a while while we do these uh, Orville discussions. Um, we'll see if I take the chair back afterwards. I might just make him stay. No, I won't. <laughs> um, outside of this show, you can hear me uh, occasionally on Captain Game Show, Cosmic Potato, and uh, as a frequent panelist on Moon Show. Moon Show. Moon Show. 
And if you don't like listening to me, then you can feel free to visit my website, www.planetrisecreative.com, and check out the graphic artwork that I do for fun and profit. All right. You can find me right here on that Star Trek podcast. You can also find me on Cosmic Potato, the Superman fan talk podcast. Both can be found at infinitepotato.com. And be sure to join us here again soon. We'll, we'll be watching and reviewing another episode of The Orville. Next time it will be season one, episode four, If the Stars Should Appear. Until then, remember, I'm always the car. You can be the thimble. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That Star Trek Podcast. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can send us an email at thatstartrekpodcast at gmail.com. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Be sure to join us again next time on That Star Trek Podcast. 